0: Hey there, friend. You know, weight loss can be a pretty tricky subject, especially if you've already lost some weight and you're working on those last 10 to 15 pounds. It's definitely a different experience than when you're trying to lose the first 10 to 15 pounds. Lots of people have a whole lot of opinions, and it can feel pretty lonely to be working on those last few pounds by yourself. That's why I'm bringing back a beloved free training called Losing the Last 10 to 15 Pounds. We are going to talk about what losing those last pounds is and more importantly, what it's not about. We'll bust through the myths and we'll talk about what's really needed to lose those last 10 to 15 pounds. And finally, I'll share with you how to lose the last 10 to 15 pounds in a way that is loving and safe and healthy and most importantly, a positive experience for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Tuesday, May 21st, Twenty twenty-four, once at 11 a.m. Central and the other at 7.30 p.m. Central. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a great time together. But if you can't make either of those times on that day, I'm not going to leave you hanging. We are offering several watch parties through the rest of the week and even on the following Saturday. So come and watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party it will definitely be worth your time. All you have to do is register at com forward slash lose the last. That's com forward slash L-O-S-E-T-H-E-L-A-S-T. Now, please enjoy the show. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 149. Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight so you can feel better and have the life you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Well, hey there, my friend. Welcome back to the podcast. Are you gearing up for Thanksgiving next week? (laughs) What are your plans? I am actually going to be flying out to Costa Rica for the week. It is my in-laws 50th wedding anniversary this year, and they are taking the whole family to Costa Rica. So I will not be having a traditional Thanksgiving meal, I don't think. (laughs) Probably have some fish or something like that, which will be just amazing as well. I've never been to Costa Rica before. I have to say, I'm kind of scared of the wildlife, particularly spiders. We shall see. I'll report back (laughs) on what this is going to really be like. (gasps) very interesting. All right, this is episode three in our weight loss success story series. So excited to share this interview with you. Summer Merritt is one of my oldest clients. She's been with me from quite early on. And she just like no one else. I mean, yes, a lot a lot of my clients have dug in so much, but she has really stayed so committed to herself and dug in and really worked on some major issues that she didn't really think were the cause of her weight struggle, but she kind of quickly realized were. And when things got hard, she really stuck with it and is now able to reap the benefits of that. And so our conversation delves into that somewhat, but also really just digs into how she just kept going, and how that's completely changed her life. She's a concierge, family medicine specialist in the Texas area. And so if you're also just interested in concierge practice, and what that's all about, then (laughs) you're definitely going to want to listen in because I always find it super fascinating. But she just shares a lot of her deep, intimate struggles and I think that she's just such a great inspiration for what's possible, what can be done, and how what's happened to you in your past does not have to influence or determine what you can create in the future. So can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Please enjoy. Hey, Summer, thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: I am super excited for us to talk today, because we've
1: been working together for a while.
0: There's been a lot of work that we've done together, and I just think that your story is really, really interesting for everybody. So I'm super excited. So what I want to start off with, I just always ask everybody to just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us
1: the work that you do, a little bit about your family. Sure. So I live in Texas, and I'm a family physician. I have a very tiny concierge practice, and I'm married, and I have two kids. They're five and ten. And like living in a small town, my family lives here. My husband's family lives here. And I went to medical school at UT Houston and then started off in surgery training on the East Coast, but then came back to Texas and did family medicine at Baylor in Dallas.
0: You decided that surgery was not for you.
1: (laughs) It made me really mean. If I would have had, I mean, honestly, if I would have had coaching then I might still do that, but I decided that it was changing my personality. And so I just mapped out.
0: Yeah. Wow. Very cool. And you've really set up this very interesting practice. Like you and I've talked about that quite a bit where it's so great because you get to work when you want to, but also has its own challenges because you can work whenever you want to. right?
1: Right. right. <laughs> it's so, also easy to overwork, right? Very much so. So I have really good, usually really good day-to-day flexibility. So I can, I take my kids to school. I live five minutes from their school, five minutes from my office. And so that part of it is really easy and I can kind of set up. So if I want to go work at the book fair, I can go work at the book fair and I'm on several nonprofit boards in town. And so I can kind of arrange my schedule to be able to do that with the art museum and the performing arts center. But then it also means that I'm on call all the time for all my patients and they all have my cell phone number. And so we've had to do a quite a bit of coaching on that because it's exactly what I set up and exactly how I wanted it to work, but it worked too well. Right. So. <laughs> Right. So I've had it's to like un- you train them a certain way. <laughs> yes. I had to stop letting my patients train me and I've had to train them.
0: Right. Right. I think that's so good because what's, what's a little bit different with this kind of a business model is like you are so involved in the business. I mean, you're always involved in the right. business at least a certain extent, even when you're employed, but when you own like a typical like standard type of practice, There's just a lot of things that are kind of a given, I feel like, that you don't really have to think about that much. And for you, you legit get to do whatever you want, which is so amazing. But also, then you have to decide and you don't always know really what the ramifications are going to be ongoing. So being willing to change things
1: and being willing to retrain people, it's hard, right? Yeah, it has been hard. And it's funny because... I always was so worried in med school and residency about the actually taking care of patients part and will I know enough? You know, am I well enough trained? Will I catch this? Will I diagnose that? But I had no idea that the hard part about starting a business were like who's going to be my internet provider and what happens when the internet goes out and I don't have an EMR <laughs> and I don't have anybody else to call because I'm the IT person because I'm super cheap and I'm not going to pay somebody <laughs> else to do that. And then right. I have to retrain myself on how to do phlebotomy because I have a super wonderful nurse. So I have one employee, but she's it. And so when she came to work with me, she was like, I really don't want to work Fridays. And I was like, okay, sure. Sounds great. Come on. And so I work (laughs) on Fridays by myself and all the other doctors in town laugh at me. And they're like, how does that work? Most of us have off on Fridays and our staff are working. (laughs) You're doing it completely backwards, but it's just the way that I wanted it to work. But so what that means is that I have to be able to do phlebotomy and urine dips and talk to old ladies about their blood pressure and their bowel movements. And right. <laughs> you know, there's just, there's no, literally no filter in between myself and the patients. So yeah. it's kind of like, to
0: a certain extent, a little bit like that old time, you know, kind of community doctor where it was just literally, it was just you and you're doing all the things. I bet that's kind of fun though, a little bit, right? Like you, you just
1: feel so capable because you can do anything yourself. I mean, sometimes it's terrifying, but yes, I do feel like a a, a small town doctor. And I tell people I'm not doing anything new. I'm just what the community doctor has been because I go to the ER, I admit people to the hospital, you know, I do all those things, but it's just a different package. And so it's really nothing new and there's not insurance in between me and the patient. It's just us with that relationship. Yeah. Um, That's it. So yeah. It's just has its own. It does definitely has its own challenges. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you are spared from all the insurance stuff, which is huge, right? Like you would totally have to have other people helping you with all that stuff if you're doing that. So it's like the yeah. give and take it's 50 50. It turns out somewhere. I think yeah, it's just a different, <laughs> just different. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So let's have you just tell us about your struggle with, with your weight, like when that started and kind of how it all manifested in your life.
1: Sure. So it's been forever, honestly. So I was overweight as a kid, probably started about first or second grade. And I remember, you know, a pediatrician, I think it was a pediatrician telling me or telling my mom with me in the room that she needed to put me on a diet when I was 10. And so it's been since then on and off with being overweight and you know, would go up and down depending on, you know, which kind of diet I was on. If I was on Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, Nutrisystem, whatever it was, but it was just Mm -hmm. always something new, something different, you know, some kind of supplement pill, herbal thing that I would try. And then I lost a lot after my son was born 10 years ago and then gained it all back plus some after my daughter was born. And so that's kind of when I decided that I needed to do something different. And then also it was, I was hitting 40. And so I definitely knew that I wanted to, to kind of right the ship, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like, okay. I sort of felt like at the same time, it's like, this is like do or die time here, people like either we're going to figure this out or, you know, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Cause I kind of felt like in a lot of ways, I mean, and it's, I mean, no offense, but also to your credit, like, I kind of felt like this was like my, my last, like the last thing I could do or try because I felt like I tried everything else. Mm-hmm. And so I put a lot of eggs in one basket and really just said, this is going to be it. This is going to be what is finally going to fix this because either I do this or I'm just going to be overweight forever and I'm not going to do anything else. And because I was just tired of the, all the drama and just, Right. always thinking about it constantly. Yeah.
0: And so one element of your struggle was also with some binge eating. Correct. Which some people struggle with, some don't. Some people, I always think that that term is hard because Mm -hmm. there's like the diagnostic criteria for binging, you know? And then, you know, people talk about binging just everything all the time. And, you know, like if you overeat a little, it's like, oh my God, I binge. It's like, well, that's not a binge. Right. But that was definitely an added element to that. Can mm-hmm. you speak to that a little bit and how
1: that kind of influenced things? Sure. So, and I, I didn't even honestly have a name for the pattern of eating that I had until I started working with you. But looking back, I mean, it started when I was a kid and I would kind of sneak eat and like hide in the closet and, or like the pantry and eat stuff that my mom didn't know about. Or like, you know, those, you're supposed to like sell beef jerky for you know, softball or something mm-hmm. like, yeah, my mom be like, Where'd all those go? I'm like, I have no idea. Mm. You know, <laughs> okay. it, and in the pantry, eating them. And so yeah. it, it was, you know, cycles of that where, you know, and I realized now if I was just feeling completely out of control with my feelings, and that's the way that I had taught myself how to cope with it was, you know, two or three times a week having binge eating and always in secret, you know, nobody ever knew about it. It wasn't like I would go out to eat with friends or, or with my family and just eat a ton, it would just always be, you know, super high fat, high sugar, carby foods that I would just eat by myself. And so that was really difficult to, well, first of all, I was like, oh, this is what's happening. And I had these super strong urges to do this, you know, on a very regular basis, but I hadn't even let myself be aware that I was doing it. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. And so then once you know, getting off of flour and sugar that helped, but then in some ways it was kind of, I was looking for that release or that outlet of that I'd used for honestly 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was hard to identify it, address it, and then work through it. And that took probably honestly a year Yeah. Yeah. Or, Because
0: ultimately, I mean, we'll we'll talk about your weight loss journey this last time a little bit more. But ultimately, it was like we started together. You learned a bunch of stuff. You tried a bunch of stuff. You figured out a lot of things that didn't work for you. Mm -hmm. And then we spend a bunch of time not trying to lose weight, but just working on the binging. I really firmly believe, like, I mean, you can lose weight while you're still doing some binging from time to time, but it's not solving the problem. Like, you you do not have any food freedom Mm -hmm. when you still have these are just a binge, and then you're you know the the constant up and down of the binging and everything so they did all of that and then you're able to actually right make some progress there yeah
1: yeah so if like numbers wise so i'd lost about 15 pounds before i started working with you and then through the first round that we did i i can't remember the exact numbers but it was maybe 30 pounds i lost the first 6 months and then I we just kind of pumped the brakes on it for a while because I was still binging and I was using that to really beat myself up and mm-hmm. feel even though I was like oh I've lost weight I feel better about myself I was still really beating myself up about that and so even though I was you know working the plan the best I knew how until I could really get a handle on those binges I just I had to put everything on pause mm-hmm. and that was difficult and I remember getting a lot of coaching on that. And it was really hard. Cause it's like every other time I've lost weight, I want to do it super fast and get it all off and be done with it and be over. And I mean, I don't know how many times you had to say, you know, why are you in such a hurry? Yeah. You know, why are you like this? If this is the last time, why are you in such a hurry? And so probably the 55th time I finally was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I see what you're saying because I'm not going to lose anymore and I'm going to continue the cycle of binging and going up and down these same stupid five pounds if I don't really work on this. And so the second six months that we worked together, it was mainly just thought work and I did end up losing more. And so total then I've lost 75 and I I have more to go, but I'm okay with that in a weird way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, because you're not in a rush anymore because you realize right. that like, you can do that anytime you want to, but mm-hmm. it's not, life's not going to be better there. Right. <laughs> like you can do it just cause you want to, right? Like it's, it's a totally different motivation for it than like, I'll be whole, I'll be valuable. I'll be okay. Once I get down to that number on the scale.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I'm lighter than I've ever been as an adult. Like this is probably what I weighed in junior high And so I'm kind of like, I feel pretty good, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, and that's the thing, right? Like sometimes we get to a place where we just are like, I really love this. I love, like all of this is great. Like you don't have to necessarily lose tons and tons and tons and tons. But as you know, I still encourage you to do it just so that you know you can, because sometimes deep down, we kind of convince ourselves that we like this because we don't believe we can do more. And so you can, you know, it's going through the process of losing it, deciding if you don't like it, you can always, you know, gain some back, I think is useful because then you really do know, like Mm -hmm. really, where do I want to be? And there needs to, you know, never be any more discussion in my brain over what is a good weight for me, because I know for a fact, this is where I want to be. And I know that I can choose to Mm -hmm. weigh whatever I want to weigh. Right.
1: Yeah. And so that's what, and I do a hundred percent want to do that. And I think probably only in the last month or so, have I really believed that that's possible? And it's been me working through, I mean, honestly, just doing a ton of thought downloads and really thinking like, what are my reasons? Are they good? Are they believable? And then if not figuring out you know, like, what do I, you know, how do I want to think about myself? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and honestly, like I'm good. I'm so much better with my self-talk and with my self-worth now that it's kind of almost like if, when I lose, not if, when I lose the rest Mm -hmm. of the weight, it's going to be gravy. Yeah. Oh, totally. never would have thought that, never would have thought that. Yeah. But, and so that's why I'm okay with it being really slow because when I find myself kind of spinning out and like, you know, if it goes up and my weight goes up and then it goes down, I kind of pull back and it's, I still, it's not like I get off the plan or off the program. It's I pull back and do more thought work you know, and just really hit that part hard and just kind of say, okay, well, I know how to maintain. So I'm going to maintain mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be active about doing anything. You know, as you say, on the A or R lines, I'm just, yes. I have got to work on the T. Yes. And so I have to really work on my thoughts a lot. And then I can unpause and step yes. back and
0: that part again. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, what's so interesting is, is how often, like when you hit pause, and you really work on your brain that you do actually start to lose weight because because mm-hmm. you're you're actually really in touch with what's going on for you and connected to yourself your body what your body needs and when you feed it what it needs and no more it goes to where it wants, you know to a healthy weight for you so it's so mm-hmm. interesting so so when you first signed up which was like 2 years ago i believe Over two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, over two years ago. That was like way back in the day when I still did one-on-one calls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so we had a little chat and we were talking, everything was great. And at the very end, you told me something that I remember being like, I mean, I remember it totally like it was yesterday. And I thought you might want to share with our mm-hmm. listeners, because this is something, this has been an added element that you've worked on a bunch as well. And I think it's been really, like, first of all, I just, I'm like super proud of you. I think it's been amazing what you've done, but I think it's really also been able to help you create everything that you've created. That's so amazing.
1: Right. So, and I don't even know why I blabbed that out to you at the last second, like for our 15 minute call, but I knew the reason why that nothing had ever worked for me before is because I had never addressed childhood abuse that had happened. And that's happened over a period of time before I started gaining weight. And that's kind of, I feel like the reason why that for a long time I lived in shame and the reason why I used food as a coping mechanism and the reason why that I was binging and I had never ever told anybody that ever before. I mean, no one. So you know, why not tell a complete stranger on the phone when I'm sitting in the parking lot of a dialysis center, you know, (laughs) that made complete sense. But I mean, like I said, I just, I was kind of honestly at the end of my rope with weight loss and I had listened to your podcast and I just, I just had this light that kind of went on in my brain that was like, this is it. This is what you have to do. And if you're going to do it, you have to be honest. And because I knew that that was the piece that I had to work through, even though, I didn't want to. And I mean, cause why would I, if I, you know, for 35 years, never addressed it. And I mean, not right. ever breathed a word of it. Why would I start now? But I knew that that was what was holding up me losing weight permanently. Yeah. Yeah. I think that just kind of observing your
0: whole journey, I think it was influencing more of your life than even just the weight, right? Like it was, Oh, it was contributing to just, it was influencing all of your relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, just everything. It was just, it kind of like, it, it's like we've talked about it before. It's like, it's this thing that happened in the past, but it was this story that was still very alive in your life. It sure. still had influence over all these different areas. And so together we worked on that. And then now it's something, I mean, here you are on a podcast sharing that. But I think that this has happened to so many more people. Mm -hmm. Then we know, like I was sharing with you before we started recording, I just think that there's going to be so many people who are listening who are going, oh my gosh, like we can address that too. Because I think that there's this element where people, I think it's, it's a kind of like a dual thing where it's like, oh, it happened so long ago. It can't possibly be still influencing things. And, or it's so bad that I just, I, I can't talk to anybody about it. Like what would people think? Mm -hmm. Like I just need to keep it hidden, and so it's kind of interesting the parallel between the binging, always secret, always in hiding, Mm -hmm. right? And that's exactly what shame does. It wants you to hide. So you had shame about binging, shame about the abuse. It's just a whole shame fest, right? And you know, all kind of steeped in self loathing. So yeah, I mean, what has? I mean, I'm sure it's been hard, but if you had to kind of describe the two years of working through that, how would you describe that?
1: It's like, I kind of feel like that, that those events really did permeate my, my life for such a long time, even though I would actively try to not think about it. And if it would come up, I would just push, you know, just push all of those feelings down. And so then when I would request coaching, I would, it's like, I would barely want to put it out there. And then if I would, I'd want to pull it right back. And then I, you know, I remember you coaching saying, do you want to talk about this anymore? And even then I said, I have, I, I don't know. And no. then it's, I do, but not right now. And then it's, you know, I will, but I'm only going to tell you a little bit. And then it was, okay, I'm just going to put it all out there and I'll just tell you the whole thing. And so you had me write it down, everything just very black and white. And it felt horrible to be honest, but then it also was exactly what I needed.
0: Yeah so, there's just this processing that hadn't been done you know it's it's sort of like you'd hit this pause button on your childhood brain trying that didn't know what was going on you know mm-hmm. and and but knew that it felt terrible and then mm-hmm. it's all just still sitting there waiting for you you know it's right. like you can't you can't skip over that part of processing it mm-hmm. and so i mean from the coach perspective i just you know i really viewed my role as just holding space for you because so many other people in your life would not be able to do that. Right. They would be, right. you know, so like, especially anybody that you'd be willing to, you know, share such an intimate kind of story right. with. And so I think that there's something about knowing that you can just completely like fall apart and there's, it's like true judgment-free zone mm-hmm. that allows you to actually move forward on that. Yeah. Cause
1: I knew way. that it was somewhere that was, safe and it wasn't telling just to tell. It was I had to tell to get through it. Yeah. To move forward in your life. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. To move forward. And and it's been honestly really freeing because since then I was able to talk to my husband about it. I mean, he had no idea. And that's been, I mean, it's been tricky. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I mean, I think it's, you know, surprising, especially if You think, you know, if someone's really super good at hiding something and then they tell you something that was probably a pretty big deal that maybe they could have told you before, but, you know, but I I mean, I, it's, it's brought our relationship a lot closer and it makes me realize that there's nothing that's so bad that we can't, you know, that we can't work through. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that a lot of the times, you know, when we had or have miscommunications, it's because, the way that I would, the emotions that, you know, something, a very innocuous conversation between husband and wife, it would trigger these emotions that were the same emotions that I would feel as a kid. Mm. And so if those emotions got triggered, then my brain would just go completely haywire and blow, you know, a conversation completely out of proportion. And my very sweet, kind, super patient husband would be like, what just happened? What did I do? What did I (laughs) say? Right. And so if I felt, you know, ignored and I've had to address those, you know, rejected, ignored, abandoned, not safe. So whenever I feel those things, I know that my brain at first wants to go completely nuts. Yeah. You know, and just go into this shutdown overreaction. But then now when I'm like, oh, he didn't get me a birthday present and I'm feeling ignored, but that's because I'm feeling ignored because of that other thing. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with what he did or didn't do or said or didn't say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's a hundred percent me. Yeah. You know, and that's not any fault of his. Yeah. absolutely. So that, that, I mean, that's still obviously a work in progress and trying to yeah. tease apart those things. But it's, it's so interesting to see how, even though I thought that I had really well compartmentalized things that how those feelings still permeated into lots of parts of my life that I didn't realize they did, you know, especially with my self-worth and people pleasing and trying to be perfect. Yeah. And that
0: really played out in your, in your business as well, in your practice, right? Like so much of it, right. It was so hard for you to let go of the overworking and in the over availability Mm -hmm. when, you know, like you don't want to do that when your self-worth is coming from them
1: being so grateful
0: for your over availability. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And because if I, if I felt like, well, I didn't return their text in you know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes, well, they're going to think I'm a totally horrible doctor and they're going to tell everybody and you know, it's a small town, everyone's going to know, and this is going to get out as soon as possible. And I just had to reel all that back in because it was the over delivering was under delivering to me. (laughs) Yes. Right. Exactly. It was at your own expense. A hundred percent. Right. And, you know, even when I scale back and I set up, you know, quote unquote bound more boundaries, it didn't change. That's not even really what the patients were looking for. You know, they were more looking for the connection and the availability. And it was these really super weird, just things that I'd set up in my own mind of ways, things that I had to do to show how amazing I was so that that way they would say I was amazing. And then I would feel good. Right. Exactly. It's like you put all these middlemen in
0: between you and feeling you know, good about yourself. Right. Which we all do, by the way, I completely did that too. Like big time, big time. Like, no, I'm just over delivering. I'm like, I'm just, you know, that kind of doctor that I'd love to have, but like, do I really want a doctor who's missing dinner most nights because she's staying late at the office talking to people? Like, I don't know. You know, I totally identify with that. It's like, you create this story that literally isn't even really based in anything. And then you just believe it as though it's fact, as though they have, you know, you have a survey of them telling you what they want. And, you know, so then you're acting from that place. Yeah. So it's, it's, we think like, oh, I'm just overworking, but it's so much more than that. Like, why are you actually overworking? It's so hard to work less when you're believing that you working a lot is what's valuable about you. Like, you know, it's very painful to stop doing that. You're always going to tend to go back to that if you don't figure out how to create that value for yourself.
1: And I, because the way that my practice is set up, so my shortest appointment time is 30 minutes. And so, you know, I would feel like, well, if we got through the medical part in five minutes, like, you know, you've got a cold, you know, yeah, just wait, you know, (laughs) right. Um, But then I feel like I would need to fill up that time with, well, how's so and so? How's so and so? What's going on? Where are you going on vacation? What else is happening? You know, and Mm -hmm. sometimes they just wanted to get out the door, right? Like they just wanted to know, (laughs) Yeah. yeah you don't have the flu like go live your life and yeah. i was feeling the need to you know form this fake weird connection so that mm-hmm. they would like me and they were just wanting to get their cold treated and go back to work
0: right it's almost like they they're looking for a level of professional relationship too you know like mm-hmm. there is this kind of line there and i think it varies for different people but You know, sometimes, so there are going to be people who want to chit chat more,
1: but then there's going to be people who don't. Yeah, I I totally get that. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That's so fascinating. So I've pulled back some and I'm like, okay, well, anything else? And if they're like, nope, I'm out, then I'm like, okay, well, we're good. Now I've got, you know, 15 minutes to, you know, do whatever I need to do. Yeah. Catch up on some other things. Yeah, that's so amazing. That is great. So
0: you, to just kind of sum up the weight loss journey this last time, you kind of decided, okay, like I get it, last ditch effort. I have to work on my brain. You signed up, you told, you know, told me about the abuse. We dug into mm-hmm. all of that, worked on all the binging. Where do you feel like your work is right now?
1: I mean, I feel like that it's kind of where... It, where it kind of boils down to a lot of people where it, it really just boils down to self-worth and, you know, how we think about ourselves and kind of like your podcast this week about how, you know, what is the most important thing and how maybe it needs to be, you know, taking care of myself. So that way I can be, you know, the best mom, the best physician, the best daughter that I think that it's really learning how to have my own back, how to put myself first in an you know appropriate nice way and then you know just to really to really love myself even where i am right this second still being overweight yeah exactly i think that's it's so, such a good point
0: right like it's it's loving yourself like putting yourself first But in a productive way for everybody. That sounds like it can be so selfish. Like so many people just like recoil (laughs) at the idea of putting yourself first. That that's like a bad thing, and it's always Mm -hmm. you know kind of the message growing up, and that you know we're such givers. But you can put yourself first, and by doing that, actually care for others better. Right? Like Mm -hmm. like the classic example is if you're a mother and you're putting your children first, you know to Mm -hmm. your own detriment, then you know, you're probably a lot, you know, more frustrated and, you know, shorter with them and you're not really showing up as the mom you want to be. But Mm -hmm. when you are able to meet your own needs
1: first, then you can be that mom that you want to be. Like it's so much easier. Right. Right. And that's, that's a big part that I learned and I've worked on is that, that when I do have more compassion for myself, that I am so much more compassionate to my kids and to my family, even the tricky, you know, in-law family and, yeah. you know, and my patients that if, if it's always coming out of a place of compassion, then it's just, it's, it just feels so much better. Yes. And the, the, for you, right? Like, we
0: don't know what yeah. their response is, but like, it feels so much better for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because for so long, you know, the, the self-talk was so ne- it wasn't, I mean, not like, Horrible, but it was just so perfectionistic and such a weird high standard, and just not compassionate at all. So when I'm like, you know what, I tried my best, kind of screwed up. Oh well, yeah, you know. And it's like that person screws up too, and so does that one. So we're just all people figuring it out together. Exactly. And so, but it's it's a lot easier for me to to be like that with other people, and it it does feel a lot better than just to have a real connection when you're you can admit to other people. My life's not perfect in mm-hmm. this way, that way, in this way. And these are the ways that I mess up all the time. Right. But we can figure it out, you know, together. Yeah. And that, that sense of community of, because I feel like the, the people pleasing and the perfectionism is really isolating. Yeah, totally. And because I feel like I don't know. I don't know if ever before, if I've really felt as connected to people. Mm hmm. Because it was always this weird false wall of, I can't let them know X, Y, or Z because they might think differently of me, Mm -hmm. and so you can never really have a true connection. Yeah,
0: it's like you you recognize like the commonality of our human experience. Like there might be a lot of differences, but deep down, it's all basically the same thing. And I think that even helps like with mothering too. You know, with parenting, Mm -hmm. like of just this idea of like they're human beings who are struggling like they're not here to, you know, make me proud or make me look a certain way or anything like that. Like it's just such a different a different experience. Yeah, I love I love how you said that. That's so so helpful. So if you could give a piece of advice to someone who's listening, maybe they've been listening for a while, maybe they've been, you know, kind of contemplating You know, would this kind of work for me or not? Or maybe, you know, a lot of people listen, will lose some weight, and then they're kind of like, oh, I think, you know, maybe that's it. Like, what do you, what would you give them as a piece of advice or just a thought to ponder?
1: One, it's definitely not just about the weight. Yeah. And then two, that life coaching is way more than I ever anticipated. And I mean, it's really, turn my life upside down in a super good way. And I, I didn't anticipate that at all. Like honestly thought this was my last ditch effort to lose weight. I had no idea of how far reaching and how it would really kind of transform my life in every, every way. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I can only say it
0: so many times. <laughs> that I feel like uh, mm-hmm. it's great when other people are like, "Yes, this is really what it is. This
1: is really." What and it you is. know, because since we've worked together for so long, it was funny even because I thought that, well, that that was six months. There we go. That was it. And but then in my brain, I think, but I've got so much other stuff I need to work through, and so I emailed you. I was like you know, am I, am I a failure? If I sign up again, does this mean that, you know, it didn't work? Did it not take, you know, mm-hmm. what happened, you know, but yeah. it, it's really an ongoing process. And I don't know why I would think that in six months I could unravel 35 years of, you know, of everything. All, <laughs> everything. life. <Yeah. laughs> right. I mean, so once I was like, you know, it's, it really is, it's been for me, the best investment because it's my brain and, and yeah. I, I need it. We all, we all right. need them. So it's, it's not replaceable. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. But it's, I kind of just kind of think it like maintenance now. Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah. It's, like I mean, hygiene. it's, it's
0: just like this thing that you do. It's like getting your eyebrows waxed. It's like just this right. thing that you do because it's really a good thing for yourself when you do it.
1: Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, for me, it's far more valuable than any other type of self care that I could pay for that I could do. And it's 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 just been transformative. That's
0: makes my heart sing. It just makes me so happy for you. (laughs) Well, Summer, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I know that this took a lot of guts. You had to really challenge yourself (laughs) to do this. I had to to watch Brene Brown's TED Talk this morning, (laughs) full disclosure. What about vulnerability? Vulnerability. But, you know, just so everybody knows, you know, you volunteered. I didn't ask you to do it. You volunteered. But I have to say, I was so, so, so pleased when you volunteered because your story is really, really compelling. I think it's going to help so many people. And kind of like what we talked about, it's like once you are willing to share things with the world, it's just Mm -hmm. like moves you so much further along in your own work, which is so great. So thank
1: you. I just wanted to... Rip the bandaid off and be done with it. And yeah. I think this is part of it, even though it's massively uncomfortable. And that's something that I've learned is that the discomfort is not intolerable. Yeah. So there's no emotion that's intolerable. Yeah. And it's like the discomfort doesn't mean that you
0: shouldn't do it. Right. Right. Like we often are like, ooh, it's uncomfortable. Run the other way. <laughs> but that, that creates discomfort too often. Mm-hmm. So we just exactly. have to pick it, and it. was through.
1: exactly what I wanted to do, even though I didn't want to do it at all.
0: Right. <laughs> told, I 100% understand that sentiment mm-hmm. for sure. All right. Thanks, Summer. I appreciate you coming on. You're welcome. Did you know that you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to KatrinaUvalmd.com and click on free resources.